Coming up on Chasing the Natty, the 2021 season comes to an end, and we got plenty of breakout players from the bowl games. In addition, the transfer portal continues to burn, and we got plenty of players to talk about there. And finally, we got a national championship to discuss. All of that and more coming right after this. to the end zone. Oh, what a catch. Devontae Smith. Touchdown, Alabama. Watch out for Mr. Robinson. This kid is going to be special and is already flashing. This is Chasing the Natty, a college football fantasy podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful, wonderful day. Bowl season is behind us. Uh, there's been some hits and misses on that part in terms of the programming for this year. Uh, different games getting canceled. I know some of the games I was looking forward to just got dropped out of nowhere. But even so, there are plenty of awesome, awesome games for us to enjoy. I know for a fact that I enjoyed the Orange Bowl uh, greatly. I was very happy to have been blessed with some tickets to that and so i was able to go down to miami and enjoy that uh, but there's some also some awesome other games as well the rose bowl i know for a fact a ton of people are going to be talking about that one for years to come between ohio state and utah uh, there's just been some other awesome games from this past year but we got and we are going to break down uh several players that we think uh definitely uh, exploded during those games but you might be asking Jared who are we going to be talking about uh, those bowl games and everything with today well guys I brought on a wonderful wonderful guest you guys have probably seen him around on Twitter uh, definitely kind of ribbing and discussing stuff all things CFF with all of us on Twitter and his name is Mr. Andrew P. Katz sir how are you doing today what's happening Jared I am in a hyper fragile state getting ready for Monday with today being Friday, right? I'm stoked for this national championship game. The Orange Bowl being one of the fewer than I would have liked to uh, bowl games that I actually got to watch with it being a night game, having two kids age oh, yeah. five and coming up on three months. I, I do not get to catch really any games during the day. Um, it is what it is, but mm-hmm. uh, got to tune in to some bowl games at night uh, and recorded a few others, so... I'd, li- I'd like to think that I'm as caught up on full season and it's coming and goings as I would like to be. And I'm excited to talk today. Absolutely, Andrew. Where can, where can people find you and what kind of stuff uh, do you work on uh, that people might be interested in? Uh, so I am generally looking out for number one when, when uh, myself when, during the college football season. I'm playing in as many leagues as I can. Uh, from a content perspective, uh, I'll... Uh, get on some podcasts or uh, YouTube videos with uh, Mike and Joe from the CFF site. Uh, I'll talk with the CFB Dynasty guy, Zach uh, Tao, as well uh, from time to time. But, I mean, I'm open to getting on uh, whatever show anyone's interested in talking to. I love talking to CFF. Time is what it is uh, from an efficiency standpoint and just viability standpoint, but I'm always down to talk CFF, uh, for, but I don't really... I used to kind of be a little bit in the content game, but it, it 
from a recurring perspective, especially when we're talking about putting stuff in written word, it's more, it's, it, that's when I really start to see it turn from a hobby into a job more than anything else um, mm -hmm. when it comes to responsibilities and it just takes away all the fun. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I, I like to grind as much as anyone else. I think that that is what makes college foot fantasy football so great that more than any other sport you get out of it, what you put in um, mm -hmm. because you, I mean, I don't want to hate on anyone who produces content, but con content being produced by third parties only going to get you so more so far. Um, there is always more information that you can glean. And then that that's one angle of it, right? And the other being, how do you process that information relative to really any other major sport, NFL, MLB, where you can go any number of directions and have the answers or a good set of answers at your fingertips when it comes mm -hmm. to college fantasy football. That's not really the case. Um, but that was a long-winded way of saying I'm always interested in talking uh, CFB. You can find me on Twitter on, at Andrew P. Katz. I, um, am not really doing too much in the way of content though these days. No, and that's absolutely fair. And I, I know several guys that have just kind of um, realized that, you know, real life kind of gets in the way sometimes and you got to worry about uh, that first and foremost. And you, but even so, the fact you're able to come onto these shows and everything, you provide some great insight from years and years of playing. I have to imagine people are definitely going to be enjoying what you have to offer here today. You can find Andrew at Andrew P. Katz, like he said. But as always, guys, I'm, you guys know my spiel. You can find myself, I'm at CFF underscore Jared on Twitter. You can find me giving the most lukewarm or the hottest of takes there, depending on how I'm feeling on the day. Uh, you can always DM me or just at me on Twitter. I will do my best to respond to each and every one of you in a timely and a thoroughly uh, thorough fashion. In addition, you guys can, if you're watching this on YouTube, you guys know what to do. There's a little bell down there. You can always hit that. You can hit that subscribe button and you can leave a comment right down there below. Uh, it can be anything from what you guys think about our bowl game breakout players today, or it could be something along the lines of, Jared, why are you having two Georgia fans on during uh, right before the national championship game? That seems a little biased. Well, we'll get to that all that later, but you guys know how much I love it when you guys follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you guys find those podcasts in addition spotify now allows five star reviews i don't have anything set up for that quite yet but coming up during the off season you know for a fact i'm going to be in offering some stuff for you guys and let's just say those five star reviews on spotify probably might help you out there so keep an eye out for that in the future all that being said Appreciate you guys tuning in. Let's go ahead and get started with, uh, we're, we're actually gonna start with the transfer portal news today because we got a ton of guys to get to here. And obviously there's no one bigger to talk about than Mr. Caleb Williams, quarterback out of Oklahoma, entering the transfer portal several months after Lincoln Riley has taken the job at USC. Uh, this past year, Caleb Williams started in seven games, played in significant time in eight uh during that time he threw for 1900 yards uh 1912 yards 21 touchdowns and four interceptions uh he is one of two players by 247 that has been given the full 1.000 rating for the transport portal rankings which is a very very high honor if you followed those transport portal rankings at all and yeah andrew i'm going to throw this over to you let's get your thoughts on this first so i have a few different ways that I kind of feel about this, mostly from a hypothesis perspective. Well, 
what schools have you seen link him linked to? Because I think no one actually has heard anything concrete, right? I, I, and there's lots of fun message board type rumors and just ridiculous theories oh, yeah. where he might go, right? Obviously, he's it seems like I assume he's attached to USC in some capacity, whether or not yes. anything comes to fruition there, who's to say? Um, so, but for obvious reasons with Lincoln going there. So I'll tell you, or, I'll, I'll go ahead. Yeah, no, there's a, another fun one, right? Of people stalking his Instagram and how he could end up at UNC because is a, a person that he's not, that no one's quite sure if that person is or is not his girlfriend goes to UNC <laughs> seen on vacation. Someone with his shadow has been seen on vacation with that girl. And then I also saw Charlie Batch offered him a million dollars to go to his alma mater, Eastern Michigan, which is probably the most fun one, right? Oh yeah. Uh, for CFF purposes, just see- I say Caleb Williams in the Maction. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely that's what i'm rooting for personally so more i guess uh the concrete things that i've heard so far is that georgia is heavily involved in this recruitment um the, just different things i've heard from several different parties are saying all confirming that georgia very much was one of the first schools to reach out to caleb williams and like you said obviously there's a tie here to usc maybe him falling to lincoln riley but everything i've heard is kind of pushing away from that saying that it doesn't seem like that that is by any stretch of the imagination a done deal. NIL is heavily involved in this recruitment at this point. From what I've heard, uh, Caleb Williams' dad has heavily taken the reins on this and is trying to make sure that his son is able to get out as much, uh, as much uh, compensation as possible. Uh, for whatever school is going to take him. Uh, so yeah, obviously Georgia's heavily involved here. Oklahoma is uh, very much involved trying to get him to come back to Oklahoma, although we'll get to another guy here in a couple of players that kind of indicates that they don't think that they're going to be able to succeed in that endeavor. The other school, you've mentioned USC, you mentioned UNC. The other school I'm starting to hear heat up just a little bit more is Old Miss with uh, Lane Kiffin over there. My question there is what what NIL-wise do they have to offer that a school like Oklahoma or Georgia uh, isn't able to offer? But we will see. So yeah, the rumors that I'm hearing again, Georgia, Ole Miss, USC, UNC, out of those four schools, uh, which one excites you the most, Andrew? Uh, I mean, from a personal perspective, you can see my my sweater. I'm wearing my Georgia sweater. So, I mean, I, I would love to see him there um, and lead us to back-to-back -back ch national championships. I think that would be really fun. Uh, but from a fantasy perspective, right, it, that's not necessarily the most, ex the most exciting uh, offense to see him in. So your, your options were Georgia, UNC, Ole Miss, and USC. USC. Ole, Ole Miss uh, feels to me like potentially the most interesting and exciting. Mm -hmm. Kiffin showed absolutely no interest in doing what is necessary to keep his quarterback healthy long term in the way of uh, holding back on uh, rushing attempts, which yep. I think that Williams's skill set, part of his skill set, right, lends nicely to that. And his arm talent it doesn't seem like there's much question there at this point either he, mm -hmm. I, mean, I i was reading i forget who said it, it might have been nate on twitter cff name might have been might have been the one who was talking about how coming into college his arm development was the part that was the question mark right true and everything we saw this year it doesn't look like there's any question there whatsoever i would agree so, yeah i mean when 
when we're talking about ultimately skeleton keys uh, for CFF purposes, having the athleticism that he has is critical. And then also having an offensive mind calling the shots that will utilize that is mm -hmm. critical as well. And Ole Miss seems to check both those boxes for me. I think I definitely agree with you that Ole Miss, just from an objective fantasy standpoint, seems like the best option there. UNC seems interesting to me, but also that offensive line is atrocious. And I just don't see them going there because that's not like if he's constantly getting sacked and having to be on the run because of that offensive line, I highly doubt that's going to get him drafted highly in the NFL going forward. So I think, I mean, they, uh, I, I saw somebody on Twitter, they were just like that, that O line at UNC quite possibly cost Sam Howell millions of dollars this year because they just couldn't hold the, he was constantly running for his life in that uh in that team and then obviously again obviously everybody knows I'm a Georgia fan so at this point if Caleb Williams does come to Georgia I'm not gonna say, like a lot of people are like oh that's a bust for fantasy I'm like well we haven't seen the QB that can truly unlock uh, a Todd Monken offense quite yet. Uh, Setson Bennett, for as much as people malign him, have actually, has actually done a very, very good job considering the ceiling that he, the low ceiling that he has on his skill set uh, in that offense. So I think it'd be very interesting to see if Caleb Williams could unlock Georgia's potential on offense there going forward. Uh, but even so, uh, that's pretty much what all I got on Caleb Williams. Again, obviously the biggest name to hit the transfer portal this cycle, if not the biggest name to hit the transfer portal ever, maybe since uh, Justin Fields was probably the last big one that uh, people uh, were really just blown away by. Like this is a top prospect uh, in the portal right now. But even still, we got Mr. Caleb Williams. Let's go to his teammate, Mr. Mario Williams, uh, another Oklahoma player, wide receiver this time. And so this past season, Mario Williams had 35 receptions, 380 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, he was a uh, true freshman on the field this year, which is something very impressive to see a true freshman getting that much time in Lincoln Riley's offense there at Oklahoma, considering the offensive recruiting machine that they have been over the past couple of years. Uh, currently, he is the top receiver in the 247 transfer portal. And the rumors of where he might be going include uh, Miami was the first name that a lot of people were kind of throwing out there because he's from that South Florida area. A lot of other people are just like, all right, he's going to wait around to see wherever Caleb goes, which isn't too far out there. In my opinion, he was very clear in his statement to Oklahoma and everything that he posted on social media. He was very clear that the main reason why he was leaving Oklahoma was because his quarterback that he signed up to play for was no longer there so it's very possible to me that he just waits to see where Caleb goes and then he follows him and then uh, the other one that uh really just goes with any Oklahoma transfer at this point USC so Andrew do any does any of that kind of intrigue you excite you what are you thinking here so I I, didn't, I haven't looked too much into it, but I feel like the few snippets that I saw was that there's a high potential that he's a package deal with Caleb, um, mm -hmm. right? So the, the boosters that that all the schools that are lining up need to prep for two two payments two for two players, not one. I don't True. Know if doing that math that math correctly there or not, but a bit of a tangent. But what do you have strong feelings about how the Oklahoma offense has? I don't even I don't know if taking a step back is the right word, but they, 
are, in my opinion, starting to mirror or the way Lincoln has run that offense almost mirrors Oregon's in the sense of like, what are, what is the point of wide receivers in these, in this offense? He has all this, he had all this talent this year. Mm. It seemed like the offense entirely revolved around the quarterback, the running backs and the H backs. That to to me makes me feel a couple of things relative to Mario Williams. A, it is super impressive that he got on the field as a freshman and flashed uh, with some big plays and was an not was a non-zero right mm-hmm. in every way. But it also makes me think that we just that we don't need to necessarily consider his stats at all when projecting his future, considering how all of this ta- all of these talented wide receivers the last couple of years at Oklahoma have really done nothing from a statistical uh, perspective. So when we think about how we expect them to do going forward. I think that similar to a lot of the decisions and a lot of the quote unquote projections that we want to do from a college fantasy football perspective, leaning into hard statistics doesn't necessarily give us the full picture, which is one of the things that I really love about college fantasy football, right? You can't just be someone unless you're Nicholas Ian Allen living mm-hmm. in a spreadsheet all day, every day, when it comes to projections, obviously what he does is very different than what we do um, in terms of Mm. trying to project people from a fantasy perspective. But I don't know. That's one of the things I've always loved about college fantasy, how difficult it is to quantify so many of the um, elements uh, surrounding it. And I think that Mario Williams is a decent uh, example of that, just uh, given the realities associated with his freshman year Mm. and how those, how it's likely that his, subsequent career actually plays out so you, you you touched on many different points i'll try to hit as many of um that you you said it as you can you talk about the oklahoma offense this year and you felt and you said there was a lack of lack of better terms it felt like it st- took a step back this year i think a lot of that has to do with that lincoln riley has been planning this move to usc for quite a while i, I think it's been going on a lot longer than people have were kind of given it credit for and i think for lack of better terms, he was uh, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for here? It was uh, he it was it was like he was Sunday driving. It was like he like it was like uh, not it, he was checked out for the most part. Like again, when things weren't quite going, like we saw how bad that offense looked the first half of the year, and for the most part, it just felt like that he didn't care for the most part. And then once it, they started losing to Texas, that's when he finally made a switch to Caleb Williams and said, "All right, all right, all right, all right." Um, so I think, I think there's that, uh, obviously I don't think that's the entire story there. I do think you're right that this crop of Oklahoma offensive players has been a downturn compared to where they had in the past years, like CDA lamb, uh, Hollywood Brown guys like that, where they, they, they just tore it up every single year. Uh, guys like, uh, Rodney Anderson at, at, at tailback and stuff like that. Uh, Ramon J. Stevenson. Yeah, de- definitely felt like they took a step down this year. But again, I think a lot of that has to do with how uh, Riley was preparing to go to USC. Uh, in terms of what Mario Williams can do here from the future, I-, I still think it's very impressive he got on the field. Regardless, it's the same thing as Marvin Mims. If you can get on the field as a freshman and make plays as a freshman in Riley's system, I think that is absolutely worth no- worth noting. And then obviously where he goes just like with any of these transfer guys where he goes is going to be huge for his potential value if he goes to usc and it's just one of another thousand dudes hoping to get on the field for lincoln riley there i'm not super excited about him uh at least in the short term i'm sure in the long term he's going to be just fine 
Um, but if he goes to a school like Miami, where they're losing their top guy this year in Charleston Rambo, one of my favorites from last year, by the way, um, I, I think I could see him having an instant impact there. And then obviously if he, like, for some reason, like, or if Caleb went to Georgia and Mario followed to Georgia, um, I could see him having an instant impact there. We'll see. Um, but again, I'm, I'm excited about this. He's, he's the top-rated uh, right wide receiver in the 247 portal for a reason. So I have to imagine wherever he goes, people are going to at least take a decent interest in him. So we'll go ahead and move on to the second uh or second, excuse me, the third player in the transfer portal. We'll try to pick this up just a little bit going forward. But again, some of these guys we're about to hit aren't quite as big as the last two we're talking about. But Grant Wells, starting quarterback for Marshall, entered the transfer portal and is going to Virginia Tech. This past year, Grant Wells was the QB 32 in CFF. Uh, he threw for 3,532 yards, threw for 16 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. Uh, on the ground, he had 60 uh, rushing attempts for 56 yards and seven touchdowns. So, my thoughts on this. Uh, as soon as I saw Grant Wells enter the transfer portal, I was very excited because this is a guy that started at Marshall as a redshirt freshman. And any quarterback that can start that early for any uh, level of competition I am immediately interested in and my wish was fulfilled he is going to Virginia Tech going to be joining uh, new head coach Brent Pry there so I'll be very interested to see how he goes from here Th this dude threw for 3,500 yards last year and so that tells me that he is very capable it has a high ceiling the thing that held him back this past year was the fact that he just didn't throw a lot of touchdowns 3,500 yards and 16 touchdowns is not a ratio you typically see in any level of football. So that just tells me that, just, I mean, Rasheen Ali really took away a lot of those type touchdown opportunities for him if we're being real. But even still, Wells took uh, seven on the ground for himself. And the last kind of point that I'll throw out here, uh, Jason Brown, the starting or the previously starting quarterback for South Carolina, has also transferred to Virginia Tech. In fact, I think they announced within like five minutes of each other. It was very weird. Uh, so, so several people are like, oh, are you worried about this? No. Jason Brown was a starting quarterback for South Carolina because they were desperate and had nobody else. Nobody else. Grant Wells earned his job by his redshirt freshman year from Marshall. I think he's going to be just fine at Virginia Tech. Andrew, what are your thoughts on this? My main two thoughts here are, so they, you're, not only did they announce at the same time, but they very clearly used the same graphics people as well. So this was like extremely co co coordinated on their part. Mm -hmm. I'm a little more worried um, about wells getting full snap share like i wouldn't be surprised to see either the plan being for them to compete or work in tandem uh in in year one in the system i also i'm not a huge grant wells supporter i think mm -hmm. personally that his high yards that he threw for was likely a result of the blistering pace that they played at and that his touchdowns were more reflective of the way the level at which he actually played Okay. Unfortunately, I think that I can kind of correlate that over to how my boy Davis Brin performed this year. Like, oh yeah, watching watching way too much of his of his, of his gameplay. Tulsa plays at a really quick pace. They they run it a good amount, like mm -hmm. Marshall, but they're 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 throwing it a good amount of times per game, just as a result of running 70, 80 plays a game. They're never scoring touchdowns through the air because Bryn just wasn't very good. I think mm -hmm. it kind of equates over to uh, Wells from Marshall as well. 
And they both guys were fortunate, relatively speaking, to the greater landscape to stay healthy and not face any competition across the entire year, which I think also, when you look at end of season stats, I, I, I'm stealing this from, uh, from, I think from JJ Zacharyson from the NFL side. Uh, I don't, I, I would love to know what the name of this theory or this idea is, because I think it's so smart and I, I'm not going to articulate it nearly as well as he does. But the basic idea is you look at end of season stats and someone who navigated the path of injury and competition and they went through the entire year and they held off all those outside forces and their end of season ranking is what it is because they just, they stayed healthy and they saw a snap, a full complement of snaps the entire year relative to all these other people who had all these outside forces negatively impact them, they're going to rise to the top, relatively speaking, and their stat, their stat output is going to look better relative to everyone else's who had all these things that they couldn't control impact them. And it's not reflective of true skill. So I think when we think about Wells, that's one way of thinking about his performance this year. I, I think that's a very impressive point that you brought up there, Andrew. I'm, I'm glad you kind of brought that up. Uh, again, I'm, I'm a, I guess I'm a bit more bullish on this. I, I think I like the idea of Wells moving up to a Power 5 system. Hopefully he, uh, again, this is assuming that he does get the full snap share there at Virginia Tech. I think that uh, he can easily beat out Jason Brown for this starting job come the, come the fall. But again, you're right. Uh, when you have a guy like this who just wasn't injured the entire year was actually able to pull off or actually stay healthy the entire time I'm kind of looking uh, through his um, I'm looking through his so he finished as the QB 23 or, or excuse me uh, 32 as I mentioned before but when I look at his week-to-week stats he only finished in the top 24 QBs twice one one week he finished in the top three so again he has obviously had a great week right there um but even so just through most of the weeks this isn't a guy that you would have wanted to start again i'm excited to see him at the power five level but maybe that's more me just being excited for him from a football perspective than a cff perspective so we'll see we'll go ahead and move on to our fourth uh transfer portal guy here and we're going to a wide receiver this time we got mr jacob cowing a wide receiver out of utep he is transferring to arizona this past year he was the wide receiver 27 in cff he has 69 receptions for 1354 yards and seven touchdowns um First things first, I mean, he's obviously, he was obviously looking to transfer up to a Power 5 school. When you just look at his long list of offers that he got, he was getting offers from schools in the SEC, from the Big Ten, from schools in, obviously, here in the Pac-12 because he chose Arizona to go to. But he had a lot of offers from really big schools. So why choose Arizona? Well, to me, there's a couple things here. I mean, Jed Fish has been a recruiting monster at Arizona this year. I don't know if it's him being able to utilize NIL. From what I've heard, just a lot of players love playing for him. But he's put together a top 25 recruiting class this year. And I think he's only going to get better with what he's doing now in the transfer portal. Pulling a guy like Jacob Cowling that a lot of us were ready to see him just go up to that next level. But here he is at Arizona. And I think it's very clearly he's likely the wide receiver one especially with stanley berryhill going off to the nfl draft this year and i think there's a plenty plenty of opportunity for him this upcoming year andrew what are your thoughts on this so i saw your back and forth with i think justin on twitter about this and he referenced berryhill as a reason that we should be excited about cowing and you kind of brought up uh 
Barry Hill's wide receiver 81 ranking at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Maybe pump the brakes a little bit. I side a little more, I think, with Justin on this in the sense that Barry Hill, so there's two things that are exciting, right? Barry Hill, just from a target share perspective, from a usage perspective, super high. Now, that didn't necessarily translate to a fancy point perspective mm-hmm. across the entirety of the year, but I would look at Barry Hill season in two parts. The first part of the year when he had Jordan McLeod and Gunnar Cruz throwing to him, and then the second half of the year, really second 60% of the year when he had Will Plummer throwing to him. They, that uh, Credit to Jed Fish for somehow making that offense functional with Will Plummer. <laughs> quarterback. I don't know how he did. I didn't really get a chance to watch much in the way of Arizona games, but I've seen Will Plummer, Plummer play football before, and it's it's not very pretty. Very mm-hmm. pretty. Um, when, when McLeod and Cruz were throwing him the ball, uh, for the majority of snaps across the first four or five games at the start of the year. Barry Hill had four double-digit half PPR games to open up the year, then started to cool as the quarterback started to fall off. He still got lots of touches, lots of uh, – some. he got some carries, lots of catches, but it did, didn't really translate to fantasy points as they had to rework their offense. So what I'm trying to say is I, if, if Will Pump Plummer is still the quarterback going into next year in the system, I'm – probably not going to have a lot in the way of Jacob Cowing, but I would expect that they're, they're going to look to bring in another quarterback to be the starting quarterback at the university of Arizona. And I'll let that kind of inform my, my ranking of Cowing because I, you know, I'm super excited based on what he was able to do at UTEP. I think that's very fair. And uh, to be very clear, when I posted the wide receiver 81 thing, that was more of just a, a joke. Cause like, I was just like, cause um, I, I was like, I was like, that's the first time I've heard somebody speak glowingly of Stanley Berry Hill really all year. And so I just went, I went to my stat sheet that I made for myself where I have all this, uh, all these stats and everything. And I looked down, I'm like, this man finished just a wide receiver 81. Like if that's cowling ceiling, like that's not something to be excited about. Um, but he did bring up a good point. The volume share absolutely is incredible. And I think cowling is a better wide receiver than Sari Banley Hill or Stanley Berry Hill. Made sure I say that right. Um, I definitely think he's a better wide receiver than Stanley Berryhill, and I think he can definitely improve this offense in that way. And I do think you bring up a good point where you got to look out for who's going to be the starting quarterback at Arizona next year. I mean, a lot of people thought that Spencer Rattler might have uh, taken a shot and go there, but he's at South Carolina now. So I have to imagine Arizona is still probably looking around in that portal a little bit, seeing what they can do. But... I mean, Will Plummer, if I remember correctly, is a pretty young quarterback. He's either a freshman or a sophomore, if I remember off the top of my head. Um, I'll have to double check that. But if he really is kind of that younger type of quarterback, he's got room for improvement. So maybe if if he's not... Yeah, he's a freshman. Uh, I don't know if that's redshirt or true freshman, but um, he's still got room to improve. So I don't think if he starts next year, it's an automatic like sell on Jacob Cowling for the next year. I mean, dude's. Cl- I mean, this dude was producing with um, Gavin Hardison as his quarterback for UTEP. So I think if Will Plummer can at least be that, we're going to be just fine here with Jacob Cowling. So we'll go ahead and move on to our fifth uh, transfer of the day. And that's Mr. Dylan Gabriel, who might be, as far as I've, as far as I've really seen, the first major person 
or major player to commit to a program through the transfer portal and then decommit and flip. Uh, so he was going from UCF to UCLA, but as soon as the Caleb, really pretty much as soon as the Caleb Williams news kind of struck that he was transferring, he flipped his commitment from UCLA to Oklahoma. Very clearly, it's been rumored for pretty much since he entered the portal that he wanted to go wherever Jeff Levy was. Jeff Levy was at Ole Miss. It was very clear that Dylan Gabriel wanted to go to Ole Miss for a good while there. But then Levy gets hired at Oklahoma. Dylan Gabriel looks at that and says, hey, Caleb Williams is there. I don't want to go to that. I don't think I'm going to be able to beat him out. So I'm going to go to UCLA. I'm sure you're going to be just fine there. But boom, Caleb Williams transfers. And and Dylan Gabriel is like, oh. There's a free spot at Oklahoma for me because their next best option is a true freshman quarterback that they're bringing in this year. I think I'll go there. That's basically the headcanon I have for this entire transfer for Mr. Dylan Gabriel. And I can't tell you how excited I am about this. Dylan Gabriel last year through week three was the QB5. That was with Gus Malzahn running that offense and if anybody knows when Gus Malzahn's running your offense it is not a fun time for your CFF QB Dylan Gabriel was able to transcend above that and is now going to Oklahoma with the offensive coordinator that he has wanted to play for I am stoked about this if I remember correctly if I'm looking my very I've put together a very very rough uh, QB rankings for next year again I got some work to do on that but Currently, I tentatively have Dylan Gabriel as my QB6 next year because of this landing spot and situation that he has going for him. I love this so much. Andrew, what do you think? Gabriel was going to make me look very bad if he didn't get hurt last year. I feel bad for the guy. I I proactively faded him in every draft I was in for basically the same reasons that you articulated. I didn't see him as a good fit in Malzahn's offense. and. He was going out and just torching everyone through those first three games until, I guess, I think it was the last play of the Louisville game, right? He got hurt throwing a Hail Mary or something along those lines. Yeah, I think. And then got hurt. Collarbone, if I remember correctly. Poor guy. Did he, was Levy his OC his freshman year? Is that the connection there? Uh, I, there is a connection between him and Levy. I can't remember it off the top of my head here. Let me look at. I think that's what it was. I think, I think Levy was OC at uh, UCF his freshman year. I mean, we can't. We can think about, and I think we'll talk about it a little later on, like ma- perfect matches when it comes to coaching staff. He was. And yeah, Jeff. This is, this is absolutely round one, right? Levy's just going to let Dylan throw those deep balls that he wants to throw, those go routes that he's so good at. Like, what what QB is better at that than him? Mm-hmm. That's that's going to be so much of the offense uh, at o- OU this year. So it's super exciting, and I think it's a perfect match. Again, this really is a match made heaven. You're 100% correct. He was the QB coach at UCF in 2018, was the offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach in 2019, and then he moved on to Ole Miss. So I, you absolutely nailed it right there. And again, this, this is a match made in heaven. It was going to be a match made in heaven if Gabriel went to Ole Miss. It's going to be even better match made in heaven with the offensive talent that Oklahoma has been able to put together. Hopefully, hopefully, we get guys like Marvin Mims to stay at Oklahoma through this offseason. Him and Mims would be a – that's a perfect matchup, match too. I, I think, I, I again, third-year Marvin Mims with Dylan Gabriel at QB. Please give me that all day long. 
So move on to our next guy. Uh, this is one that you specifically, Andrew, wanted to talk, make sure we talk about on this show, but we got Mr. John Rice Plumley, uh, quarterback slash wide receiver at Ole Miss has entered the transfer portal has not declared where he will be going. Uh, the rumor right now is that UCF is at the top of his list. Andrew, what are your thoughts on this? So to expound about, upon what I hinted at a minute ago, I think this is another potential match made in heaven, right? Plumley in Malzahn's offense is akin to him running Richrod's offense, I think. And we saw the what the output of that was in 2019. Plumley a threat for 200 200 every time he steps on the field exactly um, yeah we well, we've seen what Malzahn's offense looks like when it, he doesn't have the guy that is a good fit for behind center in or maybe just the guy who's a little too green in the way of Keen. credit to him for molding it enough to make Gabriel successful before Gabriel uh hurt his collarbone but I the offense he wants to run is very very clear right we've seen it from the, what he's been doing on the recruiting trail, bringing in, I think that guy's name is uh, Thomas Castellanos coming in in a year or two, right? The, the guy was recruited strictly as a running back by pretty much every other coach of yep. with the exception of Malzahn. So Malzahn is ultimately, whether it not be immediately uh, going to do what he wants to do in the way of getting the people in there that wants to, that he wants to run his offense. I think from everything I've read, I mean, I like Mikey Keene's potential as in, NCA quarterback downstream, maybe not for CFF purposes, but if he ha- if Malzahn has to choose between gets to choose between Keen and Plumley, it's not a choice. He's go- and I think that it's it, it would be an awesome fit, and I I don't think I could rank Plumley high enough uh, based on what we've seen in 2019 and what we would expect to see in 2022. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. This is definitely would uh, jump pretty highly on my uh, QB rankings again. It would be definitely higher than like how where I'd have Mikey Keene coming into this year because I think Mikey Keene isn't quite the quarterback that Malzahn wants to run that system with. I do agree with you there that Plumlee would probably be a lot better. Um, I'm still a little hesitant because, again, just with Malzahn's QBs in the past and how they haven't really been uh, super CFF. Um producers but i could heavily be proven wrong here um like you said Plumley would be a perfect fit for that system so i'm pretty excited about it uh it would definitely break all of our hearts so if he transferred and announced that he's just going to play wide receiver at ucf <laughs> so we will we will definitely see also i'm glad i have my phone uh with the notifications turned on uh not transfer portal news but brian Kobach, uh running back out of toledo has just declared for the nfl draft so we got to start looking for a new running back there at Toledo, which I think they, Pen- got, they got Penny Boone. I would say Pen- Penny Boone, I, I would imagine, is probably the number one uh, guy to look at there. So we'll definitely update you guys on that as the year goes on. But also, Mac is so hard to get information out of. <laughs> like they have, like they have, like. Thankfully, thankfully, out of season, we get so much of our information directly from the players. But true in season, when you're trying to understand the reality surrounding industry or injuries and depth depth charts easily one of the tougher if not the toughest conferences 
Absolutely. All right, we got two more transfer guys to get through, so let's go ahead and take care of those guys. We got a guy, we just got to finish with a guy who's transferring from Ole Miss. Now we're going to a major player transferring to Ole Miss. Zach Evans, running back out of TCU, transferring over to Ole Miss. Obviously, the big thing here is that he will be replacing guys like Jerry and Ely and Snoop Connor. Both have declared for the NFL draft. And this past year at TCU, he had 92 attempts for 648 yards and five touchdowns. Through the air, he had 10 receptions for 130 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and that was only with half a season. Uh, so I, di I did a little extrapolating here. Uh, Zach Evans this past year finished as the RB 111. Obviously nothing to write home about. In fact, that's borderline unrosterable. But he also didn't play the second half of the year due to injury, due to uh whatever's going on with him and uh gary patterson but had he played the full season i uh, see so basically double his numbers he would have finished as the rb18 last year so obviously this is going to be a huge huge guy that people are going to be looking at especially in a high-powered offense such as old misses andrew what are your thoughts on this so it's great that snoop and jerry on cleared out of the way so we don't have to deal with uh or running backs with valid resumes coming to this. I mean, pa I assume Parrish is still there. Parrish. Uh, uh, I don't think Parrish is. Of the, of, the, of the under 89.5 uh, rushing yards in the bowl game prop, that beautiful prop that <laughs> out there for us. That shout out to them. Um, I expect that you're going to hear a lot of interesting chatter surrounding Evans coming into this year. You're going to mm -hmm. have questions about all the, all the, all the questions about his maturity, about everything, all the rumors that, that were put out about him, who's to say what's true, what's not. Absolutely. Um, you're going to hear questions about his durability. You're going to hear questions about what sort of carry share he's going to get based on the history at Ole Miss of them divvying up carries, not necessarily having a bell cow. I would argue we probably won't get much in the way of confirmation on the former two of those, but when it comes to the last one, I don't think Assuming you're not projecting him to be a first round, a second round pick, you, he doesn't really require bell cow work share to be ex exceedingly productive, right? He, at TCU, he was only getting in the way of 15 to 17 touches, something along that, that in that range. Um, there were, there were rumors, right? That he wasn't in the shape to take on more work um, mm -hmm. physically, but I don't think he even, he doesn't need to get 20 five touches to be exceedingly productive he can break uh, a touchdown or a long run every time he gets the ball because he is just that talented so as long i mean i think if you're doing anything in the way of statistical projection and you're probably projecting him for 17 touches something around there he's going to be really really productive and i mean it's like so like so much else it will come down to cost at the end of the day mm -hmm. um, when it comes to uh where we're drafting him but i I love the guy personally. I think he's incredibly talented and love watching him play. And 17 touches sounds good enough for me for to, to target him in some leagues. I think absolutely. Again, I haven't done any of my running back uh, rankings yet. I got I to gotta start putting those together uh, for reasons here in the near future. But uh, again, obviously, you, you just have to look at this. A former five-star running back, a guy that was really TCU's offense 
entire offense at times this year. Uh, now going to a even higher powered offense in Ole Miss, who is missing not only two of their running backs, but also replacing their QB. So you likely might see a bit more reliance on the running back position there up in the new future. And really, again, one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, one of the biggest misnomers about the Ole Miss offense from this past year was they weren't this like air raid, like downfield bombs kind of offense. They mostly ran through their running game and then it was complemented by a very efficient passing game in Matt Corral uh, at times. So if Zach Evans is able to become that for them this next year, he's going to be incredible for them. So let's go ahead and move on to our final guy we have here. This one's not too exciting for me, but I figured it was worth mentioning here because it was a former starting quarterback uh, who is uh, now transferring away from the program. Uh, Zal Calzada, quarterback out of Texas A&M, moving on to Auburn. This past year, he threw for 2,185 yards, 17 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, uh, rushed for 35 times for negative 9 yards and a touchdown. I'll be real. I threw this up here, but I'm not terribly excited about this. It doesn't feel like Auburn's getting much in the way of an upgrade from Bo Nix to Zach Calzada. Now, I think they're getting an upgrade from TJ Finley to Zach Calzada here. But also, like, the ceiling here doesn't scream CFF, potential CFF QB here. What do you think, Andrew? I agree, re CFF. Um, I was incredibly intrigued and blown away by the difference between Zach Calzada against Colorado, Zach Calzada against New Mexico, and then the the perfect game he played against Alabama. True. I don't know what to give more credit to him or to Jimbo and the coaching staff for that Alabama game, but it, it, it was a perfect game. That like that was what it took for that team to beat Alabama. I don't mm-hmm. really think that we need to play a perfect game on Monday night to win. But for that team, that very flawed team with miss down their store down their starting quarterback and the other realities associated with them just from a uh an offensive perspective like he it was an amazing game plan and he executed it perfectly mm-hmm. and i think that at minimum you got to give credit to him there and take that into account when considering what realities can potentially manifest uh downstream going forward at auburn mm-hmm. it doesn't really excite me for cff purposes but i mean i'm always paying attention to all things sec so True. it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, again, I think I think this is a good option for Auburn. I, I don't know. Where, like, a lot of Auburn fans suddenly convinced themselves that they were going to be the ones to get Caleb Williams, which I don't know where that came from. Literally, I, I have like some sources like involved with that and everything. I have no clue where that Auburn stuff came from. It was like I started seeing people talk about it. I'm just like, where in that? Anyway, so... Zach Calzada transferring from Texas A&M to Auburn. We kind of both agree. Not hugely impressive for CFF purposes, but it just, you know, interesting to note. Uh, other guys I want to throw out here as just, uh, we're not, we're not going to talk about these guys, but these are names that I think are just interesting that have entered the transfer portal in the past couple of weeks. Um, Christian Beal Smith, running back out of Wake Forest, has not announced where he's going. Uh, Dylan McDuffie, starting running back out of Buffalo, is also in the transfer portal. Isaiah Neuer, wide receiver out of Wyoming. Uh, he was the wide receiver one for them. He is also in the transfer portal. Zavian Valade, running back out of Wyoming, starting running back out of Wyoming. Uh, moving on from Wyoming as well. RJ Sneed, wide receiver out of Baylor, is in the portal. Uh, Christopher Brooks. Uh, former starting running back for California is transferring to BYU. 
I uh, got a duo of running backs transferring out of Louisiana. We got Montreal Johnson and Imani Bailey. The rumor is at least one of those guys is likely following Napier to Florida, in which case I'd be a little interested in that point. And then the final guy I'll mention here, Connor Basilak, former starting quarterback for Mizzou, is transferring from Mizzou to Indiana. Um, so with that being said, Andrew, unless any of those guys kind of really uh, tickled your brain and wanted, you want to say something about real quick, uh, we'll go ahead and move on to our bowl game breakout players. I could talk for extensively about so many of them, but I, I'm true. Bowl game guys, so let's pass. Let's go. Alrighty. So Andrew and I both we have five each have five players that we're going to kind of mention here as guys that kind of broke out during bowl season, and I'll fully admit going here into my first one i'm cheating just a little bit here with my first one but it you can't not talk about what jackson smith and jigba did for ohio state in the rose bowl this year uh jsn as a lot of us call him uh was the wide receiver 25 for this past year so it's hard for me to say this is a true breakout but the argument i'm fixing to make here jsn is the clear the clear Wide receiver one for CFF going into 2022, and I have data to back it up. So we could talk about the amazing game we had in the Rose Bowl. 15 catches, 347 yards, three touchdowns. That would be good for 60 fantasy points and half PPR. Dude absolutely killed it in that game, and that's great. But if you take his last five games of this season, which is really when like Wilson and Olave kind of started to take a step back because, you know, season's close to being over. You don't have um, it. And JSN really has started his ascension here. If you extrapolated what he did in those last five games of the season and spread it out over a 12 game sample size, you are looking at a wide receiver that beat Jared Stearns, the wide receiver one for this past year, by 90 points on the season. Now, we can take out the Rose Bowl, even if we take out the Rose Bowl, because that game was insane, and you should never expect your wide receiver to get 15 catches for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. Let's take that out. Let's take those last four games where he really started to break out with Wilson Olave still on the field. He still beats Jarris Stearns. When you extrapolate those four games into a 12-game season, he still beats Jarris Stearns by 14 points on the season. That is wide receiver one numbers. He is going to be absolutely insane next year. What do you think, Andrew? You don't have, you don't have an argument uh, from me. I think that Ohio State projects to continue to be super pass-heavy unless we see anything... Uh, shift in the way of play calling responsibilities i i don't know if so i i don't listen to that much in the way of podcasts i listen to you i listen to uh joe at cff site i listen to some action network the only other one that i really obsess over is the athletic podcast four to six with a and b that talks ohio state's ari wasserman and uh, bill landis i don't and they are pretty convinced that there needs to be a little bit of a shift back to the running game and just mixing up some of the predictability of Ohio State's play calling this past year, which I think makes a lot of sense. You saw you saw that really Trey Henderson's uh, yards per carry has usually yeah. just really started to dip down the stretch. I don't think this necessarily impacts JSN's argument, the argument for JSN to be number one in the way of receiver next year, but um, I can't recommend that po- podcast high, highly enough though, um, but I think that overall, like there's no there's he's 
you can think of him probably similarly to how we thought of David Bell coming into this year mm-hmm. in that year by himself uh, from a wide receiver perspective. I mean, absolutely. And again, like, obviously people are going to say like, oh, Marvin Harrison Jr., they're going to step up and we'll talk about him here in a second. Um, Julian Fleming might be another guy they're going to start looking at there on the outside uh, to replace Olave and Wilson. But again, I just can't get past the fact that JSN did this ascension over these last five games with Olave and Wilson still on the field, and they're both first round picks next year. There's no reason not to believe that JSN will not be an integral, integral part of Ohio State next year. And I'm super, super excited. So we'll go ahead and move on to your first guy here, Andrew. You got Mr. Braden Bennett running back out of Coastal Carolina here. What are your thoughts on him? I'm starting to think that a lot of the success I had when it comes to props in DFS and just fancy bowl games uh, during bowl season really has less to do with my process from the standpoint of like gameplay and more that just so many of the players that I like have super crushes on just break out during full season. I played them in all of my, all my games and they all, it all just, everything came up uh catsy for, for full season. I flashback to the first week of the college fancy of the football, college football season, not week zero. Let's do week one Thursday night. I'm waiting for Western. <laughs> I've got, I'm trying to navigate the, the UI of ESPN plus and Coastal Carolina was one of those games that opened up on Thursday night. Either the first or second play of the year, they just flipped the ball out to Bennett, who's a redshirt freshman. I don't think he got on the field at all last year. I could be wrong about that, but this is my first time here about him. And you just see this 6'2", 200-pound guy galloping down the field from the running back spot. And it's just like, whoever this guy is, like, I absolutely need this guy on my fancy roster going forward. Like, that, that dude is just not going to be fair from a going up against G5 guys. He... I think he kind of split time this year in the big back role with, uh, with, I think with Reese White, right? Because the speed back was Shamari Jones, so mm-hmm. he fully break out for most of the year. Uh, but White kind of got dinged up down the stretch, right? Braden had, Braden had some nice games, and then the ball game he just totally blew up. Um, not as I don't necessarily think going forward from a CFF standpoint that he's ever going to be a twenty touch type guy. I don't think that the that role in the CCU offense the big back role that's not the guy who gets the dives up the middle that's the guy Mm. who when Grayson McCall is kind of doing the speed option he gets the pitches he goes in motion McCall flip it out to him for a quick pass and he'll take it down the sideline that's the kind like so he I think he'll always operate in like that eight to 12 touch role but they're going to be explosive touches and he has the, the size the athleticism to maximize the output of those touches I I was whether you want to look at it as fortunate or unfortunate, I only got him in one of my three dynasty leagues because Nick Nick Allen was also watching that same game. I like <laughs> I slacked on waivers week one, and I was like, I, I checked like the Friday after waivers ran the following week, and I was like, dude, why do you own this guy? He's like, I saw him get one, I saw him get that first touch, and it was over. He was going to be on my team. I was like, yeah, that's what I thought too, and I forgot to. I didn't think anyone else would care. <laughs> league um but i ended up with him on one of my dynasty leagues and then i had him across the board on all of my dfs teams for that 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 first uh that 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 slate of bowl games so i got some payoff from him there absolutely uh, I, I wrote down a couple of questions here um, because, again, I'm, I'm with you. It, it's very nice to see that it looks like he's going to be 
quite possibly the guy for Coastal Carolina going into next year. We'll find out, like you said, who's going to fill in that speed back role now that Shamari Jones is off to the NFL. But uh, are you a little worried about the fact that he obviously had a great he had a great game in the bowl game, but it was only on six carries and four receptions that he got everything here. So only 10 touches on the game. You're a little worried about that. And then also Reese White will be coming back. So are you worried about those things? My hope, right, would be that they, and maybe a, a depth, depth chart or spring game will enlighten about this, enlighten us about this. But my hope would be that White moves up to the Jones role. And then Bennett continues to kind of play that that big back role exclusively, because mm-hmm. I mean, like like I said, I don't think he, I don't think we ever see him getting 15, 20 touches. I don't think that 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 that's optimal for him. I think that that's not how they want to use him. But and I w- I wouldn't draft him expecting that to be the case. I don't think we're. Uh, I, I think that he's the type of. I think. <laughs> He's likely to be really nice for best ball if I'm getting him in like the late teens or early 20s type of round because he's going to have some really boom games. True. Explosive games where he's putting up 25 plus points, taking those 10 to 12 touches and turning them into 150 yards and a couple scores. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not drafting him expecting consistency necessarily. I'm not drafting him expecting a bell cow. No, I think that's absolutely fair. And a uh, real quick break here. Again, I have my phone ready for any kind of news that comes in. Uh, this one's just weird to me. So you remember uh, Ben Bryant, quarterback out of Eastern Michigan. A lot of people questioning, why is he back in the transfer portal? I didn't even mention him on this show, but uh, starting quarterback for Eastern Michigan, Ben Bryant, back in the portal. He just announced his transfer destination. Where do you think he's going? So the way you're phrasing it makes me think that he is going power five. Kind of, kind of. <laughs> it's a, it. No, he's going back to Cincinnati. Really? Which is very weird to me, considering that they have their heir apparent there in Evan Prater. I don't know why he thinks that all of a sudden he starts several games at Eastern Michigan. He thinks he can go back there and challenge Evan Prater, but you know, I. That is, that is very weird. I mean, I, I don't know if you caught. Was it? I think it was the end of the SMU game where they gave Prater the fourth quarter. Yeah. Uh, that that's all I need to see from Prater to know that he's going to be a superstar. Yeah. Uh, I I I have him already in my top twenty-four uh, quarterbacks for next year in my rough in my rough rankings. Because it. Um. So we'll go ahead and move on. So. Bringing it back to bowl game breakout players. Uh, we'll go ahead with my next guy. I don't have a ton to say on this next one, but it kind of speaks for itself, the value that you can get out of this player. But Mr. Ja'Cory Brooks out of Alabama, freshman wide receiver, really been the guy to step up for them in this bowl game against Cincinnati. He had four catches for 66 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, not like a huge day or anything like that, but I think we can all agree that looking for that next go-to receiver for Bama is very much a valuable thing to be looking for in CFF. John Mechie, this was supposed to be his year, just never really could just take it by the throat. Jamison Williams just down the stretch really became that go-to guy. Mechie kind of faces the background a little bit, gets injured in the game against Georgia, uh, he's he's uh, he's torn his ACL, so he's got a little while to come back. Very much providing an opportunity for Mr. Jacory Brooks to come in and play as that go-to receiver for Bryce Young, and he has been he's caught it. He caught the, the 
game tying touchdown against Auburn in the Iron Bowl. He also uh, caught the only, I believe, receiving touchdown. No, one of the two receiving touchdowns for Bama in their game against Cincinnati. Um, so again, pretty much the value here is that like, hey, once Williams goes off the NFL next year, very much could be looking at the next guy up here in Ja'Cory Brooks. What do you think, Andrew? I agree with you. I mean, when when Williams got hurt against Auburn, right? Brooks came in and he caught the the game winning touchdown on that draw on the drive to take him to overtime to when they were down 10-3. And I think he had another catch or two that was really big as well. It was kind of his, his initial breakout. Um, well, I guess we'll talk about the Natty in a little bit. But do you think Mechie comes back next year? So I have a couple of connections at Bama, and it is sounding like he is leaning towards coming back for another year. That's perfect for Brooks then, right? Because then he can just play the Williams role, mm-hmm. deep routes all day, run double moves, and just break 70-yard touchdowns. But if they ask him to play more of a Mechie role next year, um, that's probably less optimal. So I, I feel like that will be kind of the trigger for his CFF value, um, seeing what Mechie does. But, I mean, he's been super impressive here down the stretch. I can definitely agree. I mean, obviously, he's one of the guys that I put out here on my list. So, but we'll go ahead and hit your second guy. And I'll admit, I was mad when he – because uh, for those of you who little peek behind the curtain, I had like a full list of guys that I was considering talking about. And I went to Andrew and I said – uh, you pick five guys out of this list or you bring in your own guys if you want to and everything. And I'll, I'll pick just five guys from there. And one of the guys I was really hoping you wouldn't talk about was this gentleman right here was Jordan Mims because I really want to talk about him. But this is your guy. You tell us why Jordan Mims is one of our bowl game breakouts for this year. So he actually announced or at least hinted at that he was coming back for his fifth year I think it's five, his fifth year before bowl season even kicked off. It was super under the radar. I was like, I, in one of my dynasty leagues that I, I caught up some bad breaks and didn't make the playoffs. I was kind of, but waivers remained open. I was just, I was trying to look for ways to be, beef up my roster for the upcoming year in 2022. And I, I added him there and feel super good about it because I think that, I mean, we have such a nice three-headed monster in the way of Hayner, Cropper, and Mims next year. Mm-hmm. I assume that. Tedford will just build the whole boat out of them. Uh, but I mean, we saw what Mims can do when he's not playing kind of a backseat role to Ronnie Rivers. Um, I don't necessarily know, none of us do exactly what his carry share will look like next year. I haven't, I haven't really researched what Ted, I expect Tedford op, Tedford's offense to look like. I expect it to be very productive. I know a lot of us, not me because I faded him, were let down by uh, Ronnie Rivers this past year um, in the sense that he, he was go, going, I think, second, third round. I don't mm-hmm. think that should necessarily his, I don't think his lack of production should inform how we feel about Mims coming into this year. Um, I think that Mims is uh, going to be a really strong uh, candidate for a top 25 running back uh, this year. Uh, I think that when we, I don't know, the way I, tr- I like to think about things leading into CFF drafts is what can I bank on, um, especially early on? What do I feel confident about with the, just because the reality is at all levels of a CFF draft, the first round, the middle rounds, the end rounds, there's going to be so many busts across the board because there's so much that we don't know. There's so many things that always go wrong that on top of just the, the things that are expected to go wrong, like injuries, right? 
Mm-hmm. So what do I feel confident in? What do I know? I know that Jordan Mims projects to be a core part of this offense. I feel confident that he is skilled to take advantage of those touches. Um, so that's a guy that I feel very good about heading into this year. So I'm, I actually was just checking on something here real quick. It's that I, I was looking at his numbers. So you're talking about like what, what his carry share could look like next year. Obviously, it's going to look a little different because um, uh, DeBoer off to Washington. But here's, here's the thing that caught my eye. So obviously he had a great game in the bowl game. 29 carries, 165 yards, two touchdowns on the ground, five receptions, 71 yards, and a touchdown through the air. Monster game, obviously. But this is not the only time he's done this. We go back to the game against San Diego State. Ronnie Rivers is out in that game. 29 carries, 186 yards, two touchdowns. Only one reception in that game, but even still. Versus Nevada, 23 carries. 134 yards and a touchdown and then a four receptions 20 yards and a touchdown through the air and then wyoming which is the game i believe ronnie rivers got hurt he still had 13 carries 78 yards no touchdowns in this game but two receptions for 18 yards now why do i keep reading those names up obviously those are all just monster games whenever he was the starter he had monster games but i compared him to ronnie rivers because i was i was curious about something never in any of Ronnie Rivers' starts, did his carry numbers surpass what Jordan Mims got when he was starting? So you're looking at a guy that commands carries. This is a guy that even when, like, even though he was the backup, when he was the starter, he was getting more carries than the starter typically would have gotten. So I think you're looking at a potential just monster in CFF for this up next upcoming year, especially if they want to commit to the ground game more than they did this past year. I'm very excited about Mims going forward. Same dude. So with that, we'll move on to our fifth guy here. This is one of my guys from the bold breakout games I want to point out here, and that is Mr. Noah Whittington running back out of Western Kentucky. And some of y'all thinking about me crazy. You're just like, Jared, there, 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 there's, no, there's no value in the running game at Western Kentucky. And I'm like, you're right. This year, there wasn't. But Zach Kittley, off to Texas Tech, no longer the offensive coordinator there at Western Kentucky. Now, I have to imagine Western Kentucky is still going to want to take a lot of what they learned from him and continue to incorporate that into their offense going forward. But in this bowl game against Appalachian State, I forget which bowl game it was, Whittington had seven carries for 150 yards and a touchdown. Now, even when you take out that long touchdown run, he was still averaging 10.67 yards per carry. This is a guy that I absolutely could rely on going into the future on the season he averaged 6.1 yards per carry i do think this is a guy that if they're not able to replicate what they got out of kitley this year in that whole system noah whittington could be a very big sleeper for cff this next upcoming year as a guy that could see an expanded role in a new offensive system what do you think andrew i have a question for you yes sir how many offensive how many offensive coordinators do you think western kentucky has next year They've, they've, they've already named their, they've named the staff, they've named identified roles for everyone. How many offensive coordinators do you think are sharing this role? Well, considering you've been asking this question, I imagine the answer is not one or zero. <laughs> um, so let's go a while. Let's say three. It, it is three. Oh my uh, god. Yeah, it it sounds super interesting. The, the the there's a decent article floating around. I forget who wrote it. Um, but that the basic idea be the core points are. 
they're going to try to keep, they saw what, how successful this year was. They're going to try and keep as many of the same principles. Ben Arbuckle who, um, is the guy who's kind of driving the offense of the offensive coordinators. He was in all the meetings with Zappi and Kidley. He's the guy who's going to be calling plays. And uh, so there stands reason to believe that the offense of identity should remain somewhat static. That being said, I think as much credit as we need to give Kidley for everything that we saw this year, that reality that came to manifest over the course of 2021 is as much a result of the continuity of Zappi, Stearns, and Kidley all being together for at least three years, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that the idea of just an offensive coordinator who throws the ball a lot moving into a a new team is the, the driving the sole driving force for something like what we saw at Western Kentucky. I think all of the variables that were working in their favor together were the the drivers of that reality. So I think with that being said, I think that you're correct to hypothesize that we potentially do see 2022 not playing out exactly in the way from an identity perspective as 2021. Do they want to throw sling the ball around? Definitely. Probably. Do they want to lean into the team strengths from a personnel perspective, which are at this point very much up in the air, right? Mm-hmm. They saw, we saw Whittington break out down the stretch. They don't really have anything in the way of a quarterback returning there. They, they brought in so many mercenaries that weren't really utilized, unfortunately. I feel really bad for a lot of the They brought in so many transfers, and a lot of these kids never saw the field. Yeah. Um, I, I who knows what those what those guys are doing in 2022. So um, you could probably look at their way at you could probably make multiple different cogent arguments about what their returning talent actually means, considering how much experience they have, but that experience wasn't utilized in 2021. But I and I also think that you can make an argument that Winnington stands to benefit from this in 2022. I, I, I think you honestly made the argument better than I, even I did. So appreciate that, Andrew. Let's go ahead and move on to your next guy. And really, this this flows very well into each other because the next guy we got up here is Mr. Donovan Smith, quarterback at Texas Tech. Andrew, why is he so important for this next upcoming year? I think we just we need to talk about him from the perspective of he was Texas Tech's quarterback quarterback down the stretch had a really nice game I believe against Iowa State that secure helped secure that upset uh led the bowl led the bowl game big win over Mike Leach right and now I think dominoes will fall that will make this at minimum more shaky ground for him going into 2022 but right now he stands to be the the quarterback of Zach Kittley's offense which when we're thinking about just um whether it be narratives or just hot spots for that we want to target in CFF. Kitley quarterbacks is always going to be near the top, basically mm-hmm. what we saw in 2021 and, and at HBU, right? So we need to talk about him in the sense that if if we could just fast forward with nothing else changing from now until August, he would need to be near the top of draft, draft boards. Um, I will be looking to get into best ball league sooner rather than later, um, right as soon as Bantrax flips the the calendar over to 2022, let's let's start drafting. Why not? Let's lean into some variants. Let's have some absolutely. Um, but uh, it I, I would have a tough time actually taking Smith with real draft capital, considering it just feels like there's a really high likelihood that 
at minimum, he has serious competition that he needs to, to hold off going into next year. No, I, th- I think I think that's fair. And again, I, uh, a lot of people are talking about this game against Mississippi State as like his audition for the Kitley offense. A lot of people are saying like, all right, if he busts during this game, you're very likely going to see Texas Tech go to the transfer portal and probably bring in a guy that Kitley's going to want to use going forward. And so we finally get to the bowl game, and it's it's, it's a so-so game for Smith. Even though they dominated, um, he was 15 for 28, 252 yards to the air and a touchdown. Uh, on the ground, he had five carries for 37 yards and a touchdown. Uh, but let's be real, Kitley's never really utilized the rushing ability of his quarterbacks. Uh, definitely likes those pocket passers that can distribute the ball all over the yard. Um, so, again, you're right, like, if he is that Kitley quarterback next year, stands to benefit. But also, I agree with you that it's very shaky, the idea of that he's the solidified starter for them this next upcoming year. But it's definitely something worth talking about and letting people know that, like, hey, for now, this is the guy you should be kind of looking at. If he's available in your dynasty leagues and everything like that, like, take a look at him. See if you can get him in any kind of way. Um, so, yeah. Uh, we'll go ahead and move on from him, and we'll go to, to one of my guys next. And that is Mr. Lorenzo Styles Jr., wide receiver out of Notre Dame. And a lot of y'all, once again, looking at me crazy like, Jared, it's Notre Dame. Like, why would you ever draft a wide receiver from Notre Dame? They are a ground-and-pound team. They like to run the ball. Like, they're wide receiver. Like, this is like a Georgia-level situation of, like, you never take a wide receiver from this team because they're never going to get the volume. Well, my friends... Uh, this, you would have been shocked, just like I was, uh, during the Fiesta Bowl. Because in that game, Notre Dame threw 68 times, <laughs> which <laughs> which blew my mind when I read that set. I'm like, I, when I was watching, I'm like, man, they're throwing the ball a lot. Like, this is kind of a weird thing for Notre Dame. And I looked at the end of the stat sheet, and it was 68 times they threw the ball. And, um, and they, they uh, I forget how many times they ran for it, but I know that uh, Logan Diggs, who I was looking for in this game, he was ready to be, I, I had him penciled in as one of my bowl game breakout players, ran like nine times for 29 yards. The rest of it all came through the air. And I'm like, okay, so is Notre Dame just going to be a team that throws the ball now? That's fine with me. Uh, I don't expect them to do 68 times per game by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, but even still, are they throwing the ball more? Cool. Let's get the guy who's going to benefit the most from that. That's Mr. Lorenzo Styles Jr. And he is likely going to be their wide receiver one next year, especially with Mr. Kevin Austin going off to the NFL. In the game, he had eight receptions for 136 yards and a touchdown. So, I don't know. I like Lorenzo Style coming into this next year. What do you think, Andrew? This game is a prime example of my tenant that all bowl games, all college football should be played at night. I would have been in heaven watching this game for like so many reasons. A, just the, the back and forth, but as a as a Gundy supporter, as a Spencer Sanders supporter, as a Tay Martin supporter, like th- this would have been heaven for me watching this. Absolutely. Um, I When I was making all my DFS lineups for this game, I was like, oh, um, Kyron's out. Let me grab the backup. And I, I, I grabbed digs for most of my teams totally forgetting that Tyree is likely to to be the main dude and that was pretty much the only thing I got wrong on that slate I I I, I don't even want to try and do any math to figure out where I would have ended up with most of my teams if if I had Tyree over digs because that's another 20 points and I was already doing pretty sweet relative to the overall leaderboard um but I I, I agree with you does 
Does Jack Cohn have another year? No, I believe he I does not. Has more years. I God God bless uh God bless Nick uh Nick Allen for CFB winning edge his spreadsheets he he has taken the time to figure out how many years everybody has left so god bless him i'll double check real quick but i'm pretty sure this is his last year it was interesting that Notre Dame just came out with that attitude of we're going to throw the ball around i mean the i i've heard it hypothesized right that like the shackles are off with Kelly being gone reason mm-hmm. actually do what he wants to do and maybe this is the new identity. So it'll be it'll be interesting to follow, interesting to hear what that what what um the team has to say in terms of what they want to do. What if we get any hints of that um, through spring practice into the summer? I mean, they just thinking about the talent that they have uh, at the skill positions, right? I mean, you would think that with Michael Meyer and Styles that they might lean skew a little more pass heavy mm-hmm. uh, going into 2022. I agree with you. I thought it was. It's, it felt like it took forever for Austin to break out, um, and he totally, it totally came to be kind of down down the stretch a little more. Um, but I mean, Styles is definitely definitely worth monitoring. Yep, definitely. So again, Calvin Austin or Calvin Austin, Calvin Austin's off off to the NFL, but Kevin Austin yeah. off to the NFL. And I did just check; this is Cone's last year. So he is he is out of eligibility after this year. So it is likely the Tyler Buckner or the Drew Pine show next year. Regardless, if they're going to be throwing more, regardless, I think it's going to be fine either way. Um, so we'll go ahead and move on to your next guy. And we've talked about one Ohio State wide receiver. I kind of hinted at we'll be talking about another here. So Andrew, tell us about Mr. Marvin Harrison Jr. I I had him in every single DFS lineup I made on uh, on the January first slate just for he was he was stone minimum price right it, it's kind of frustrating that it got out that he was locked in as a starter going into that game because i think that brought his ownership up, up a little more relative to some of the other options like it mm-hmm. Fleming that were uh, potentially being uh weighed in terms of who to play that day i i was on harrison for the weeks leading up to that bowl game because i read a a takeaway from an interview with Garrett Wilson that where he was just gushing about Marvin Harrison, how Harrison is the next Ohio state receiver to come through. Who's going to be that dude. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. so unfortunately this game was also played at, at a, at a time of day where I'm, just, I'm, I'm not, football. Um, mm. I would have loved to actually see it playing out in real time to see Harrison doing his thing and like turning into that star before our eyes. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see where he's drafted next year. I, I, I kind of, Selfishly, I wish he would have waited till 2022 to, to break out. I would have been all in just uh, from a CFF perspective. Now the calculus is a little different, right? He's he's proved it on the field mm-hmm. uh, in under the spotlights that he can be that dude. Um, with JSN going first round of fantasy drafts as a clear number one receiver at Ohio State, where does where does Harrison go? It's a little different than I think with Olave and Wilson, where Olave and Wilson were more, they were both in like that around three to five type range. I think Mm -hmm. in hindsight, if we knew that Ohio State was going to be as pass heavy as they were and that Stroud was going to be as good as he was, those guys would get pushed up as well. But I think that it's still going to be a little different because JSN is so clearly the number one in that offense. Where do we want to ultimately settle on where Harrison should be going? I don't know what the answer is, um, but I mean, he's definitely on my radar. He's a guy that just from a um, 
from a football standpoint, I'm super interested in and would love to have on my fantasy teams. I mean, I, we were talking about draft stock and everything like that. And again, I, I haven't put together. I've, the only rankings I've done so far are some rough rankings for QBs, working on running back, working on wide receiver. And I'm interested to see, once I put everything together, where I have uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. in. And once I like put everything together, uh, plan on putting mock drafts together over the next coming months and everything, I'm extremely, in, like you, interested to see where he falls and everything, where people are valuing him at. Valuing him at because... To me, the ceiling is a Garrett Wilson or like a Chris Olave from this year and everything. And then you have JSN on the side who's just JSN, but he gets a bit of a bump and everything like that. But also does JSN being that clear number one wide receiver take away from Marvin Harrison Jr.'s ceiling, in which case you likely would want to grab him in like that round like six, seven, eight range rather than the three to five range you saw Olave and Wilson this past year. So it'll be very interesting to see going forward. And again, like, Obviously, just any Ohio State wide receiver that's in that one-two range and everything. Heck, if I remember correctly, friggin' Ohio State had all three of their top wide receivers. Uh, yep, all three of them finished in the top 25 wide receivers for fantasy this year. So to me, you're likely looking at Marvin Harrison Jr. likely being a top 24 wide receiver when my rankings come out. Because even even if even if he's less than Chris Olave or um, JSN was this year and everything like that, it's like it's still right there, right along that borderline. I think he's going to be just fine. So let's hit up our next player. I'm going to go Mr. Gavin Williams, running back out of Iowa. Big thing here is that um, Tyler Goodson has announced he's going off to the going off to the NFL. So you got to start looking at in these systems where these running backs get have heavy amounts of carries. Who's that next guy up? Well, to me, Gavin Williams kind of staked his claim during the bowl game. He was splitting carries with uh, LaShawn Williams a little bit. Uh, Gavin Williams got 16 carries. LaShawn Williams got 10. But Gavin Williams did a whole lot more with his carries than LaShawn Williams did. Uh Gavin Williams had 16 carries for 98 yards. Didn't get any touchdowns in this game, but he did get two receptions for 14 yards. Again, touchdowns, hard to predict sometimes. I have to imagine that if Gavin Williams is that main running back for Iowa going into the future, that he's going to be getting plenty of touchdowns. Um, So, I don't know. This is more of just like looking for that next guy up in the system, and I think Gavin Williams is that guy for Iowa going forward unless they bring in a transfer of some kind. What do you think, Andrew? I, th- I think you're right. I question how productive the system has actually been, though, in recent years. And I don't know if that's a reflection necessarily on Goodson's talent, not necessarily being up to the tier of what some historical Iowa running backs have been, or more usage for backup uh, running backs at Iowa in the years where Goodson was RB1 as well. I know it felt like they were get- getting some of their receivers involved on uh, end arounds a lot more closer to the get goal line. And that was, th- that was stealing touches, uh, key touches and touchdowns from uh, what would otherwise be Goodson. Um, I, I can't say I'm super excited about Gavin Williams, uh, just Fair. given what we've seen in, in terms of the returns from Iowa running backs, namely Goodson in recent years. Uh, is there a, a floor belt into there? assuming that the running back uh, situation maintains to be what it is going into 2022, probably. And I mean, that makes him rosterable, but I don't know. In terms of 
being super interesting and exciting, not necessarily for me. Fair enough. Again, I'll be real. When I wrote him down and everything, I'm like, I, I, I like it, but I'm not like this. There's a reason why I have him here at the end. Definitely. Uh, so we'll go ahead with that and just go ahead and hit up your last guy here. You got Mr. Brock Thompson, wide receiver out of Purdue. What's what's got you so excited about Mr. Thompson here? This guy, have I don't have you read up about what he's going through right now? I, I feel I enlighten feel me and our audience. I feel bad for him on lots of different levels. So he had he struggled from my memory. He struggled to get on the field at Marshall as a receiver transferred to Purdue and I, I thought he walked on but I, that might be wrong and he transferred back because he was dealing with medical hardship of family members to mm-hmm. closer to home so poor guy like it's I remember reading about it at the time and like that sounds really really awful seemed like he had trouble for obvious reasons commanding targets and getting on the field early in the year with it kind of being David Bill Milton Wright uh, Payne Durham dominating target share everything kind of breaks to the point where he becomes a core part of this offense down the stretch. And now going into this bowl game, dude is, it's been kind of sketchy on what he's dealing with, but it seems like he's, I think he's getting surgery on both knees. Good Lord. This season's done. And from what you can, I didn't, I didn't get to watch the game, unfortunately, which it seems like I'm the only one because that was the, I believe that was the second highest rated bowl game. That was not a new year six bowl game out of any of them, which makes sense. Like two awesome, fun teams lots of scoring let's do this thing oh yeah and it played out just like that right and from what i read <laughs> thompson would catch a ball struggle to like to move gain a bunch of yards go down go to the sideline couldn't even play multiple plays in a row go back in catch another ball all of a sudden he's got seven catches 207 two scores and he's leading the team to victory you know going into 2022 it's it's super interesting to think about right because bell is gone but they've got they've got Millen Wright. Thompson has another year of eligibility, I believe. Um, they've got Elijah Cannon and Tyrone Tracy committed. Both guys who I think, from a skill perspective, are super interesting. Those skills have ne- never necessarily translated to the on-field production that we want. But I mean, you watch. I feel bad for Tracy in the Iowa offense, but you just every time he catches the ball, you're like, this dude is just insanely mm-hmm. skilled and talented. And Cannon, I mean, we've only actually seeing him have one decent performance in the bowl game to close out the previous year. We were all excited coming into this year and no one seems quite sure on what happened, why he couldn't really get on the field this year, but mm-hmm. I'll give him a pass from that, from that perspective and kind of from a skill and talent perspective, I think it, it's there. Um, so Thompson has a lot of competition coming to this year. Uh, hopefully he can get the knees healthy and minimum worth watching, but I don't think I want to be drafting him based on his bull performance coming in this year. I, um, I want as much Aiden O'Connell as I can get. That dude is awesome. It, it, it offends me that he didn't start coming into this year. It was so clear to anyone who actually <laughs> wanted to watch a team, a football team be effective and win football games that Aiden O'Connell is that dude. The team loves him. The team rallies a bit around him. They win ball games when he's on the field. Why are we starting Jack Plummer? That was that was like that, but the dude puts up insane numbers. Like, I'm sorry, he's not six four two oh six like Jack Plummer is. He's not he's not a Greek god out there. Like, but the dude just he he puts up numbers and he wins games. That was like a switch that just went off at you. That was really funny to watch. Like, it was like all of a sudden, like you're talking about the wide receivers, and it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. You make good points, and then you brought up Aiden, o- Aiden O'Connell. It's like a switch <laughs> went off at you. That was like. 
<laughs> anyway, um, I agree with you 100%, though. Um, I, I've said this with several quarterbacks last year where a lot of people were trying to guess, like, oh, who's that wide receiver one going to be for, like, this team or this team? Oklahoma was a big example, and uh, Ole Miss was another big example. Everybody was trying to guess who the wide receiver one's going to be and everything, and I was like, y'all, just draft the quarterback. Just draft the, like, focus on getting the quarterback, and you're going to be good everywhere else. Like, it won't matter if you have that wide receiver one because you'll have the quarterback and you get the points from that, especially if you play in a six-point uh, six passing touchdown league. You're going to be just fine. Just get the quarterback, and you'll be guaranteed to get those points. Um, same thing with Purdue this upcoming year. I'll be drafting Aiden O'Connell in a lot of different places because that's where I want to get the value out of. I'll find out who the wide receiver one is later. Probably pick him up off of waivers. So those are our 10 breakout players that we wanted to bring to you guys' attention. Obviously, um, the big trap with bowl games is that you think every breakout player is going to be that dude the next season, but you can't really rely on that too much now because you got the transfer portal, but even still, even before that, sometimes you just have guys that break out for one game. It happens every once in a while, so you got to be very careful with it, but we think the guys that we kind of brought you guys today are the truth. These are going to be guys you want to be looking at for your lineups next year and are not uh, guys that you can fall into a trap believing that they'll be something more than they actually are next year. So, we've hit the transfer portal news, we've talked about some bowl game breakout players, and we are running quite a bit long here, but we do have one more thing we have to discuss. I guess we got to talk about this game. Um, and for those of you that, uh, for some reason, don't understand what I'm talking about, the national championship is, uh, well, going to be tonight when you guys are listening to this more than likely on Monday morning. But for us, it is several days from now. And we got a rematch of the SEC championship, much to the bemoaning of a good chunk of the CFB landscape. But Regardless, you have Alabama, you have Georgia, you have the two best teams in college football going head-to-head once again for the second time this season. Georgia still favored despite getting uh, beaten by three scores last time, still favored by three points in this game. And it's funny, so both Andrew and I are Georgia fans. Uh, He's got his Georgia shirt on. I got my Orange Bowl shirt on currently at the moment. Um, but we, we, we were kind of talking already before this got started and I can already tell we got two different kind of Georgia fan attitudes going into this game. I am the broken down, like, uh, which just weathered down Georgia fan of like, man, it would be awesome if we won this game, but man, I cannot let my hope get up too high. But Andrew, you got a lot more positive attitude coming into this game. So let's start off positive. Let's hear your thoughts on this game first. I do. Um. I started off kind of in the same place mentally that you are now, I believe, like coming out of the games on New Year's Eve. I, my initial mindset was we just got whacked by this team uh, in the SEC championship. I, I don't know. It's cute that Vegas is opening us as, as favorites, but I mean, come on now. What, what's going to change? I've seen this with Georgia so many times now. Mm-hmm. But I've grown more and more confident as the days have passed. And I'm, I, feel, I, I feel supremely confident at this point that we're going to, to win and win pretty handily. I think that Alabama losing Mechie is just, I don't know how, I, I'm not going to try and play the game where I quantify it in the way of points on the spread in Vegas. Mm-hmm. I think that, that it changes so much. 
when when you have Mechie and Williams playing off each other, two guys who were just playing like absolute alphas against our secondary, that they prove that when they're when they're doing their thing, Bryce is going to be able to find one of them on every single play. No, no, no one else on the field even matters if the line, if the Alabama line is able to give him any sort of time. Mm-hmm. I think that with, with Mechie being hurt now after the game, obviously with torn ACL, poor guy, the it's totally different. Brooks has looked really nice. Ultimately, like we, we talked about earlier, though, I think he's more in the mold of Jamison Williams field stretcher type deal. I think that he does a lot of different things than Mechie does and, I don't necessarily think that Alabama will ask him to play that Mechie role, but I just think that Mechie not being on the field makes it the game so totally different that if there's no reason to walk into this game expecting anything representative of a repeat of what we saw in the SEC championship game. So on paper, I agree with you. This is the same thing I was walking into the SEC championship game in where I just hit my hand on my desk. That hurt. Uh, on paper, Georgia's still like, there's a reason why Georgia's favored. Like everybody's like, oh, what is Vegas even doing? This is free money. There's a, <laughs> there's a reason Georgia is favored in this game because so many things on paper says Georgia should, if not win this game, could win this game handedly because they have advantages in key areas. Georgia's defensive line has to play better in this game, and they're going to be playing against a quite possibly very banged up, if not different, O-line than they played in the SEC championship game. Because uh, at the very least, Bama had both of their tackles go down in the Cincinnati game, and they could be back for this game. Saban's keeping his lips shut on that. We have no idea whether they'll be back or not for this game. But even if they are back, they're going to be banged up. They're going to be guys that are, they're not going to be able to perform at the same level. Georgia has to take advantage of that in this next game, and Georgia has to bring pressure more. I forget. Uh, let's see if I can bring up this tweet real quick. It was from Brett Collins uh, or Brett Rollins, um, where he showed the difference between when Georgia brought pressure versus when they didn't, and like how Bryce Young performed, and it was night and day difference. Oh, I can't find the tweet. Ah, should have should have brought this up. Um, but it was night and day difference. Georgia has to be able to bring pressure, even if that means bringing a couple guys with them, because it clearly affects Bama's offensive production in this game going forward. Now the then question becomes, can Georgia capitalize on the other side of the ball? Georgia's offense versus Bama's defense. I'm a big believer in Setson Bennett. I think in the Michigan game, he showed what happens when you allow him, as Josh Pate says, and I think he's 100% correct on this when he says this, when you allow him the luxury of throwing the ball rather than the necessity of throwing the ball, Setson Bennett is one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the country when it, the pressure is not on him to perform. Once the pressure becomes for him to perform, that's when he starts seeing the multiple interception games. That's when he starts seeing ill-time errors. But how do we fix that? It has nothing to do with Stetson Bennett. It has everything to do with the run game. Georgia ran for less than four yards per carry against Bama last time around. They have to be better this time. They have to get Zeus running for at least four yards per carry. James Cook have to be running for at least four yards per carry. And they did that against Michigan, against a good defensive line in Michigan. If they are able to repeat that against Bama and able to keep themselves ahead of the sticks, Georgia very much is in the driver's seat to win this game. We saw it at the beginning of the SEC championship last time when Georgia went up 10-0 to start the game. 
Like Georgia was on script, what they needed to do to start that game. But once the defense started breaking down, people missed assignments. There were some blown coverages and you had Bama score two touchdowns in quick succession. That's when things started falling apart for Georgia. That's when they started to feel the need to play catch up, feel the need to get into a shootout. And that's where Georgia doesn't win this kind of game. So Georgia has their script to win this game. Bama has their script to win this game as well. They've done it before. They beat them by they beat them by 17 last time. I don't think Bama's going to come out and do the exact same thing, but tempo obviously worked against Georgia's defensive front. Um, you kept guys like Jordan Davis out there who are fantastic football players, but when they're forced to play multiple plays in a row, they can get worn down. They're able to run the ball a little bit better. So they Bama has what they need to win this game. Georgia has what they need to win this game. I'm not prepared to make a call on this game. I know you said, Andrew, that you're expecting Georgia to win. That is great. The fan side, the fan side of me says dogs by 99. The, uh, the analyst side of me says I have no freaking clue what's going to happen in this game. It, 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 could, it could be very well. Georgia could finally put everything together and absolutely stomp Bama if everything goes right. Bama could once again beat Georgia by three scores if things go wrong for Georgia. It could be a tight field goal uh, type of game to the end. I have no clue what's going to happen in this game. All I know is that the two best teams in football will be playing on Monday night and that this is going to be history one way or the other because Bama just adds to their long line of trophies. They continue being one of the best dynasties in college football, and it is scary for the rest of the country if Bama wins this title because this was supposed to be their down year. They're only going to get better next year and the year after that, more than likely. Georgia wins. So many narratives fall like the walls of Jericho for Georgia and this program if they're able to finally get over the hump that is Bama, get over the hump that is the national championship. That, I, that, that's pretty much all I have to say. I just, I am sick of the discourse around this game. I'm sick of seeing the half-baked takes that people are just throwing out there on Twitter. I am ready to play ball and ready to just take whatever comes with me. I agree with you. Um, and I think the narratives only matter to the extent that they- they allow the coaches on the field, allow them to seep into their heads. It's ancient history at this point, but it still stays with me how in these, these two, the two biggest games against Bama before I, I can't even count the recent SEC championship as one of the biggest games because it, for us in hindsight, it's largely inconsequential, but going, the, the national championship game and the, the following SEC championship. SEC championship game. How we just took up the pedal off the gas with our play calling and how abysmal it was in the second half of those games. I can't live with that again. I could I could fall asleep and be okay with pretty much any other outcome. But if we see it, see that play out again, it's a result of these narratives seeping into coaches' heads and it's, that's affecting their play calling. And heads need to roll if that happens again. I don't. Th- I, I know it's different coordinators. I know that it's Con Munkin now, and uh, but. I don't think has again. I'm I'm one of these Georgia fans where like again, as as much as I'm weathered down and everything like that, I am a very big supporter of Kirby. I think as long as he has us at the dance every year, like we're just knocking on the door of opportunity every single time. That door is going to open at one point. Yeah. It's, it's, so as as long as so long as we're there, um, 
I don't really think, and Todd Monken, uh, as much as some people are, for some reason, just poo-pooing on him over the past couple of days, or since the SEC championship, he has done more for this Georgia offense than I think anybody's willing to give him credit for. He's got guys open. Do, do we want to go back to the James Coley days where we had zero receivers open? Because as much as people want to clown on Fromm for that uh, abysmal junior year that he had, what are you supposed to do when you got guys like Tyler Simmons and Matt Landers who can't get more than a yard separation on off, off of like B-tiered uh, defenders? Like it's like, what are you supposed to do? They weren't scheming guys open. But I, even so, I, I agree. But but even still, obviously, like we could, you if you're not if you're listening, just me and Andrew. There's a lot of emotion going into this game. There's a lot. We we all know the consequences of this game. We all know this is a huge fork in the road moment. For both of these programs, because if Bama wins, they could they could threepeat. Because next year they're only going to be better as national championships. Georgia, if they win this, so many narratives fall. But if they lose this, it's just another year of hearing those narratives over and over again, and that starts to affect things like recruiting. Starts to affect things like how Kirby's perceived within the program, stuff like that. It's going to be it's going to be a big one. So, Andrew, you got anything else left to say, or are you ready to wrap this thing up? I'm all set, dude. Thanks for having me on. This was awesome. It was really fun. Um, I cannot wait for the game to get here. Absolutely. And again, Andrew, I appreciate you coming on, man. Like, again, you, you were nervous at the beginning and everything. And we were like, oh, um, like, I, I'm not, like, producing content or anything. And I told you, I'm like, no, people are going to appreciate having you on. And, Andrew, you have provided awesome, awesome stuff for people to listen to today. So I have to thank you so much for that. If you want to talk to Andrew more, please find him on Twitter. He is at Andrew P. Katz. And if you know the spiel I'm about to give you, uh, you're going to hear it anyway because I am at CFF underscore Jared on Twitter. You can always reach out to me there. I am as open as possible as I can be there. Got some very exciting stuff for you guys this upcoming year. Some announcements that should be made in the next month or two that I think you guys are going to enjoy immensely. Going to be working with some people to get some stuff done this offseason. I'm very, very excited about it. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you hit that notification bell. Leave a comment right down there below. You guys always know I love talking talking to you down there as much as I like talking to you on Twitter. And then as in addition to that, uh, make sure if you're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you're listening to our podcast, make sure you uh, hit the follow button and make sure you leave those five-star reviews if they are available because I love reading those kind of stuff, guys. So we are pretty much, for the most part, closing the book on the 2021 season because the next time that we put out a show the national championship will have passed all the bowl games will have been done and we will really start diving deep into next year starting to take a look at what we can expect next year and as always we'll be looking at the transfer portal news coaching changes stuff like that how that affects the cff landscape so much stuff for you guys upcoming and i appreciate you guys so much for listening Y'all have a blessed day.